as we've been looking through the prophet Isaiah, it begins weirdly in that he doesn't start by telling us how he started. That's often how biographies or stories start is here's how this all got started. He doesn't tell us how he began to be a prophet until chapter 6. And so chapters 1 through 5 are almost this extended introduction of kind of here's what I see that is wrong. Here is the main stuff I want to tell you about God's word. And most of it is bad. Not that we shouldn't listen to it, but it's bad news that God's people are sinning and rebelling. And he is warning them that judgment is coming for their sin. But in chapters 1 through 5, there are two little glimmers of hope. Two passages of promises that he holds out to the people in the midst of those words of judgment, essentially saying, here's what it could be. Here's how good it could be. One of those was at the beginning of chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and it talked about how good things could be between God's people and the nations, that instead of being like the nations, you can be a blessing to the nations. And then here in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, it is not a horizontal relationship, but a vertical one. Here is how good things could be between you and God. Don't you want that? Isn't it better than the alternative of judgment I'm telling you about? Don't you want a relationship with God? And so that's what we see here in Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, this second of these short, hopeful passages, if you would look at it with me this morning. In your pew Bibles, it's page 676, Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Isaiah 4, beginning in verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the blood stains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a sp- by a spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat, and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we give thanks for your word. We thank you that there are not simply warnings of judgments, but there are pictures of hope and joy that you hold out before us as well. And I pray, O oh God, that you would help us to hear these words today as your words, O oh God, from Scripture. I pray that they would work in us by the power of your Spirit, O oh God, and that you would use me, O oh Lord, to proclaim them. Use me in spite of my sin and my weakness. Open our hearts and minds to hear your word, O Lord, and change us by it so that we desire you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So here in the passage, rather short, we see that Isaiah picks a metaphor, a description of how to describe God and his people in a good relationship. And then he goes on to tell them, here are two great benefits of having a relationship with God. But it's hard to see the positive sometimes because Isaiah has been giving essentially God's eyes to look at the people of Judah and see how bad things are. He has had to share with them difficult messages of criticism and judgment on their sins. He has warned them. He has shined the light of God's truth on even what they thought was great to show that it is a source of pride and sin and that they truly are unflattering. Thankfully, God does not give up on his people. He does not forsake his people because he has promised to be their God. He has made a covenant and agreement with them. And so here, interspersed in these messages of judgment, is this passage of hope that they can still have a relationship with God in spite of their sin, that there is still hope that things can change and give them a relationship with God. But the problem with change The reason people don't like change is it requires change, actually changing things. And so to start, he's trying to show them how to change their conception of relating to God. And he does that by calling them the branch of the Lord. In the other hopeful passage at the beginning of chapter 2, they were the city on a hill, this beautiful city that the nations flowed into. In other places, he calls them just a people, or a family, or a house, or a temple. But here they are called a branch. Now, many English versions, if you brought a different version than the English standard we have in the Pew Bibles in front of you, which is fine, I encourage you to bring a Bible, they will capitalize the word branch, meaning they want it to refer to Jesus, the Messiah. And I can understand that. Because in other places in the prophets, like a little bit later in Isaiah chapter 11, he talks about a branch or a shoot coming out of a tree, and it is very clearly in reference to Jesus, but it is almost always accompanied by the idea that this branch is coming from the family tree of David. And Jesus, being a descendant of King David, is one of the branches on that family tree. But here, there is no mention of David. It is simply the branch of the Lord. And so it seems that it is descriptive of God's people in general, not specifically only the Messiah, and that being a branch is what it is like to have a right relationship with God. Now, for some reason, Isaiah really likes trees and tree illustrations, as we've seen in previous chapters. He compared the pride of sinful people to really big, tall trees that then would just, boom, fall down, and their pride was over. And so here, he is describing God's people not as big, tall, proud trees, but as a branch, that they need to think of themselves as branches instead of trees, for that is their true identity. Because if we try to turn ourselves into a tree, as Abby was suggesting by planting this in the ground, you're going to end up with essentially the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, which looks cute, but it's not going to make it. It's not. 
I thought about planting this in my yard and just using it as an illustration from week to week, but it's not going to last till next Sunday, you know, if I dig a hole and put that in the ground. The Charlie Brown Christmas tree is no different. It's just this little flimsy branch that you can decorate it and sing around it, and you could feel sentimental about it, but it's not strong. It's going to die. It's not really a good thing. And yet that is what sinful men and women are apart from God. We are like trying to take this branch and plant it in the ground and say, here I stand. This is me. And that ain't going to work. And so Isaiah says, think of it this way instead. Here is the hopeful picture for God's people. You are a branch, not your own tree. Because if you try to be your own tree, you will not be high and lifted up. It'll be a gentle breeze and you'll blow over. But a branch on a tree is high and lifted up, higher than it could ever do itself. With the support of the Lord, you will be lifted high. And you cannot bear fruit on your own, but with the nourishment that God provides, a branch can bear good fruit and be beautiful. Jesus uses this analogy in our New Testament reading, calling himself the true vine. And that apart from him, like a branch cut from a vine, we can do nothing. Only as we abide in him, drinking in the life and nourishment from him, can we have life. And that's what Isaiah is saying. We need that kind of life with God, that kind of relationship. That we are like branches of a tree, we are dependent creatures. And if we need a right relationship with God, we need to know where to start, and that is dependence upon the Lord. Isaiah wants people to want that. It's hard to tell people you're not a tree, you're just a branch, just one piece of the bigger thing. We want to be our own tree, as short as we can be. And so he's telling them, here's how good it is to be in a relationship with God as the branch. He holds it in front of them saying, isn't this good? Don't you want to be blessed like this? And he does so by showing two great benefits. The benefit of redemption and the benefit of refuge. First, he touches on redemption in verses 3 and 4. He talks about sins being washed away, being removed. And it, it gives us some language similar to the flood during the time of Noah. That the waters came and washed all the filth of sin away. That the bloodstains of Jerusalem, the gory evidence of their crimes against God, will be wiped away and God's people will be called holy. Isaiah holds this out to them. And he says, isn't that worth having? Do you see how God can make you beautiful? It's a beauty that God gives to us. See, in the last chapter we looked at, Isaiah described how God's people tried to make themselves beautiful. And he used the imagery of women flaunting themselves through fancy clothes, makeup, and jewelry and ended up looking rotten. See, when we try to make ourselves morally beautiful without God, the result is like a young girl using her mother's makeup without her permission to look pretty. She has some semblance of what things do and knows kind of what we're going for, 
The result, however, is usually not pretty. It is usually messy and sloppy and caused to get new makeup. See, we know we want to look good, but we are incapable of doing it ourselves. But through a relationship with God, through trusting in Jesus, we can be made beautiful by God. This holiness and cleansing comes through judgment. Isaiah describes the spirit of burning and a spirit of judgment that that is how this will happen. That only God can burn away all that is morally ugly in us, removing our sinful desires and replacing them with holy ones. That through the Holy Spirit, we are changed from the inside out to resemble our beautiful God by modeling his character. Now, I think it would be fair to say that most of us want to look good to others. I don't mean simply physically looking good, but we want to live in such a way that people are like, I admire that person for their character, their integrity. We'd love for people to think of us that way. but we all know our own hearts. We know the filth of our own hearts and how we can suppress it and hide it for a time and show people how good we look. But over time, our rotten, selfish desires will present themselves to our shame and others will see the ugliness that we know is there. But by trusting in Jesus, we find someone who knows the worst about us on the inside and yet still loves us. And he suffered the judgment for our sins so that we could be washed clean in God's eyes. He gives us his own moral beauty to cover us so that we can appear beautiful before God. Think again of the branch metaphor that just as the plant sends nourishing life to each branch, so also through the word and the spirit we receive spiritual nutrients that make us beautiful in holy living. And as we obey those commands, as we abide in Jesus, we begin to bear the good fruit he talks about in John 15. Fruit that is not grown for our own pride, but fruit that adds to the tree that is done for the glory of God who has made it possible for us to do good works. Isaiah is saying, do we savor the blessing of redemption? Do we delight in how Jesus can make us beautiful on the inside and out? Do we go to him for cleansing whenever our filth presents itself in our hearts? Do we know it's good to be in a relationship with God? He's saying, here is all the judgment. Here is the blessings of God. Is that what we want? And then he says, if if that's not enough, here's another blessing. The benefit of a refuge. That when we are in relationship with God, we have a protector. It reminds us a little bit of the Old Testament reading from Numbers 9, that when God's people were in the wilderness, God dwelled among them in the tabernacle, and the sign of him dwelling among them was a pillar or column of cloud that rested upon the tabernacle. It was a visible reminder like, oh, look at that, God's with us. And there it was, just resting over there. But it was more than symbolic, it was practical, The cloud of God's presence provided shade from the desert heat. And at night, a fire burned within the cloud to give warmth on the cold desert nights. 
And so Isaiah is holding out hope even as he delivers judgment, saying safety and security are possible as God's people. But it is only possible with God. And so he asks, is this worth having? Do you see how God can protect you? We know we want safety and security. We want it so much we try to do it ourselves. We do our very best to minimize suffering and difficulty in this life. We ensure we have our basic needs met. Food, water, shelter, clothing, health. We collect stores of reserves for lean times, whether it's in our bank account or our pantry or freezer. We take proactive measures for safety by checking our smoke alarms, as the fire department reminded the preschool this week, or by maintaining our vehicles, or by exercising regularly, and we do our best. But it is often done with the goal of trying to make life easy, to try to make sure we don't have to trust God if it ever came down to it because we're busy shrewdly protecting ourselves from any kind of dependence on someone else. In this passage, Isaiah is telling us, don't do that. He's saying God will be your protector. He says God is creating a new cloud, and this time the cloud will not rest simply on the tabernacle or inside the temple. It is over the entire site, over the entire city of God's people, over every assembly and gathering of God's people. And it not only protects from the heat and the cold, but the rain and the storms. It is a new, fuller expression of God's presence. God knows we want protection. He knows we need refuge in suffering. He knows how insecure we can feel. How often life seems outside of our control. Whether it's something like our kid coming home from school saying they've been bullied and we feel helpless to do anything about it. Or the mechanic telling us, Well, this is how much you need done to your car, and the zeros seem too many. Whether it's the market showing less than anticipated returns on our investment, or that feeling when the doctor tells you it's cancer, or it's Alzheimer's, and you look at your body that you're so used to controlling, saying, how'd you do that? Why'd you do that? If we are alone, like a rootless branch stuck in the ground, then these storms of life will uproot us. We will be utterly unprepared to face suffering. But in a relationship with God, we can face suffering. Jesus has prepared us for it. In the next chapter of John, he told his disciples, In this world you will have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Not take heart, I will make everything easy. Not take heart, nothing bad will happen to you. Take heart with me. When we abide in Jesus, we are like branches on a tree in a storm. We may droop with the weight of rain, but we are still connected. Unless you droop so low that you block the pastor's path to get to and from work, and then you get cut off. Okay? It's getting really wet walking under you. And the wind may blow us to and fro, but the branch holds tightly. And so, yes, we may suffer, but we will suffer knowing that God is with us, supporting us. And God assures us in his word that no amount of suffering, hardship, 
persecution, or even death can separate us from his love and protection. In fact, the greater the suffering we face, the more deeply we have to cling on to him, strengthening our relationship with God. Isaiah is saying, he is asking, do you savor the blessing of having God as your refuge? Do you give thanks? Even if the world around you is crumbling in a storm of suffering, that you have a God you can hold on to? Do we appreciate that we have a Savior who has been through literally the worst to help us through whatever it is we're going through? The only way that we can be this glorious branch of the Lord that is pictured, the only way we can have a right relationship with God is by abiding in the true branch, the righteous branch capital B, of the line of David. Abide is one of those words that we read in the Bible, and it sounds real bible and spiritually. We don't use the word abide a lot, at least I don't. And so it's, you know, if someone tells you just abide in him, it's like, oh, yeah, that's wise, that's deep. And then you're like, what, what does abide mean? What does that mean? Abby told the kids, when you think about what it means to abide, it means to stay put. But not just stay put. Delight in staying put. That this is my home, my abode where I abide. That is the key to a branch's health. Is staying put saying, this is my home. This is the source of my life where my fruitfulness and strength and security comes from. And so Isaiah is telling his people, stay put in the Lord. Abide in him and his promises. Find your joyful contentment, your home in God instead of in yourself or in the nations. For there you can be beautiful. For there you can have security. And Isaiah offers these words of hope. But he's offering them in the larger context of judgment, of warning God's people. And it even creeps in here because three times between verses two and three, we see the hint that there is indeed pruning to go on. He mentions that there will be survivors, implying some will not survive. Those who are left those who remain, he's saying not all will escape the judgment of God. There will be some who do not want this relationship with God, who do not repent and trust in him. Some who would prefer to plant themselves in the ground and be a tree instead of a branch. Some who seek pride and honor in themselves instead of with God. There are some who are not recorded for life. But Isaiah doesn't know who those people are. He is preaching to people who are in sin. He is preaching to people, and some will turn, and some will not. And so what he he does is he warns them, and he holds out the hope. And he is hoping and praying that they will hear the words of hope and desire that. And repent of their sins and say, I need a relationship with God, and that's where I want to be. For in him there are blessings. In him I can find my home. 
So let us hear this hope he is offering and let us savor God's promises. Let us obey his commands and let us delight in the fact that we are purified and protected in our Savior, the true branch, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we pray that you would help us to hear the warning that if we are turning from you and we are fearful of a relationship with you, if we don't want to be protected by you but from you, that you would convict us of our sin and that you would turn us towards you to find that hope for there is forgiveness and cleansing in you. And Lord, if we do love you, help us to find delight in that love and to take great joy in abiding and making our home with you. Help us to appreciate and to enjoy what it is you have given to us in Jesus. And may it be more than enough for this day and every day. Amen.